Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that your presence is felt here. We want to thank you for the Sabbath, and we want to thank you that this morning we get to we get to learn a little bit more, I guess if that's possible for us, but we get to learn a little bit more about the Sabbath. And perhaps, Lord, you would, you would re, remind us of the blessing and the gift that it is. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we, we are continuing our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Now, one of the things that we have said and that we maintain this morning and we will continue to say for the next six weeks or so, is that the Ten Commandments are powerless to save us. The Ten Commandments are not your assurance of salvation. The Ten Commandments um, do not forgive you your sins. The Ten Commandments are powerless on their own. And when we look at the prop that some of the, our church members have made, um, we see the Ten Commandments, and oftentimes they take prominence over a lot of things, But what's important to us and what we began this teaching series with is that the Ten Commandments are always founded on the rock of Christ. Amen? It is Jesus who gives us our salvation. It is Jesus from whom grace comes. It is from Jesus that we have the seal of our inheritance. It is from Jesus that we have and get everything. The Ten Commandments are simply a way for us to realign ourselves with the will and the purposes of God. So let me give you an example, a real-life example. By now, most of you know my story. Uh, Several years ago, I met and fell in love with the most beautiful woman in the world. And a part of that, a part of the gift of marriage, was that I also inherited or adopted three kids. Now, coming into this, I was, what, 28, 29 years old, And um, I used to stand up in front of my other churches and give advice to parents as to how to parent their kids. And I would teach them how to be married couples, even though I had never been married myself. So what should change when I myself got married? I would tell Kim how to do certain things, right? Right? Right. I wasn't really asking you, honey. (laughs) So what do I do? I came in. Like, okay, I'm dedicated to this family 110%. So I came in here and I started telling Kim, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this with the kids. Maybe we should do this. And the way we tell them isn't this way. We need to tell them this way. And maybe we should start doing this differently instead of this. Of course, I wasn't saying it like that. It came more in the terms of we have to do this. Maybe not that meanly, maybe. But the point was I came in telling Kim, who had been a mother for Was it 14 years by that point? About 14 years. She had been a mom to her children, and yet I was coming in, and I was telling her, this is how we have to do everything. This is how we rearrange everything. This is how we organize everything. And in the process, I was telling the kids how to do everything different, perhaps, than the way they were raised. Three years later, and I was just having this conversation with her, and I had to swallow my pride. I tell her, you know what, honey? All the things I thought that were going to go wrong, because I didn't know, right? I hadn't been a parent. I'd only taken care of myself up to that point. And I told her all of the things that I thought were going to go wrong. And I was like a worst case scenario kind of guy. So like if the kids left the cup on the couch, they were going to turn out to be horrible people as adults and thieves and be in jail. Okay. Because I I catastrophize. That's what I do. That's what the therapist tells me that I am. I catastrophize everything. That, That means I blow up everything out of proportion. So what I thought a cup was going to lead to a life of crime, so to speak, I had to look back and say, Maybe I was wrong. Maybe you, the mother of your children, knew best. 
It's the same when it comes to our relationships with God, I think. God is a creator of all things. It is God who speaks everything into existence. When God tells Moses his name, he says, I am who I am. And the ancient rabbis would say that what God was simply saying is he was making a statement that he is the sum total of all existence. Everything that is around us, everything we see, all of the laws of science and physics and everything, God is the one who created and set everything into motion, and it is how we find ourselves today. And when God says, I am who I am, what he is saying is, I am all. Trust me, and I will show you. I think too many times in our spiritual lives and our relationships with God, we are always telling God how things should be. We may not tell him directly. We do so by the way that we live our lives. But the truth is, is that if God is the one who creates all things, don't you think that he has the inside track on the best way to live? Amen? It's the, it's the illustration that I use with Kim. She knew better than I did because she created these kids. She knows them. She knows them better than I could ever hope to know them. And she knows the intricacies and the nuances of how to deal with them, where I was dealing them with them one way, with a heavy hand almost. I never hit them, only playfully, but I never actually hit them. But because she knew that, God in the same way knows how to live life. And so the reason that we're going through a Ten Commandments series isn't because we're going to earn our way into heaven, but rather God is showing us and we are aligning ourselves with the heart of God and how to best live our lives in this world. Isn't that what we all want? You're here, whether you like it or not. You are here, you are alive, you are breathing. So while we're here, don't you think it's a good idea for us to be able to live in a way that God would want for us? Amen? And that's why we are doing this sermon series. And so I want to begin by saying that this morning I'm not going to tell you what are the approved activities that you can do on the Sabbath. I'm not going to talk about how the Sabbath is the seal of the biblical remnant from the book of Revelation I'm not going to talk about how Saturday is the Bible's seventh-day Sabbath. We already know all that. We're Seventh-day Adventists. You learned it when you joined the church. Now, if you're new and you're visiting and you say, well, I don't know any of that, come talk to me and I'll, I'll set you up with somebody who can teach you a little bit of some of this stuff. But this morning, I want to talk about the Sabbath in a way that perhaps we don't do very often. And I think as Seventh-day Adventists, we've spent a lot of the time talking about the rightness of Saturday as Sabbath, but we've spent very little time talking about how the Sabbath is a gift, and it's a blessing, and it's beautiful. And so this morning, my hope and my prayer is that God would lead us through this discussion. But if you have your hand out, there's a statement that I want to make from the very beginning. And that is, is that Sabbath is a what? A gift. And if Sabbath is a gift, then the next line, Sabbath is Sabbath is not a curse. Growing up, I, um, there was a list in my house of things that we could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. There was a list for all kinds of things. What we could and couldn't eat, what we could and couldn't drink, what we could and couldn't wear, what we could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. I mean, there was a list for everything. It was, it was unspoken, but we knew what it was. But in our house growing up on Sabbath, everything stopped. 
As soon as we couldn't see the sun in the sky anymore, it was Sabbath and everything stopped. If your shoes weren't painted, if your clothes wasn't ironed, I mean, whatever it was, you're done. You're going to go to church and embarrass yourself, is what my parents would say, if your clothes doesn't look nice. That's what they would tell us. But we were done, and Sabbath, TV was off, radio was off. We couldn't read, you know, books that weren't approved. I mean, there was nothing we could do, and in some ways, Sabbath was a curse to me. Because on Friday nights, I went to a public school, and I wanted to go, and I wanted to see the football games, but I couldn't. And then when it came my turn to wear the the red of the Fullerton High School Indians football, I couldn't do it because Friday night was the Sabbath, and I couldn't play varsity football. And so for me, Sabbath was a curse. And I wanted to go to the school dances and the school festivals and the carnivals and the this and the that, but I couldn't because it was Sabbath. And I wanted to go and hang out with my friends at the movies, I couldn't because it was the movies, but also because it was Sabbath. So for me, in many ways, growing up, especially when I got out of being a child, like like an elementary and junior high, but when I got to high school, Sabbath was a curse to me because it was a symbol of all the things that I couldn't do and I wanted to do. And I have a sense that for some of you, for many of you here, Sabbath might be a curse because when we think about Sabbath, it's just a list of all of the things that we cannot do. Because Sabbath is full of lists of the things that if you do them and they're wrong, you become a bad Adventist instead of a good Adventist. So I want to fill in the next blank. To make the Sabbath a day of lists eliminates the true meaning and essence of the Sabbath. I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for showing me the importance of Sabbath. Of course, I wish it would have been different. (laughs) But to make the Sabbath a day of the things that you can't do is to lose the meaning and the essence of what God had in mind. It used to be that at Seventh-day Adventists, we had the, the corner on the market, or, or we knew more about Sabbath than any other, any other Christian religious denominations, and so we would talk about the Sabbath, and it was unique to us. But what I've seen over the last 10 years or so is that there are other Christians now talking about the Sabbath. They talk about the Sabbath in such beautiful ways. Now, granted, they probably don't mean Saturday as Sabbath, but they have so many beautiful things to say about Sabbath that everybody is listening to them. And I think at a Seventh-day Adventist, we need to speak beautifully about the Sabbath once again. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open your Bibles or look up to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And this is what the Bible says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is how I was raised with the Sabbath. Don't do a bunch of stuff. Don't do anything. Don't go out to Olive Garden to eat on the Sabbath. Don't even stop to get gas if you're about to run out of gas. You don't ever use money except to put in the offering plate, but money is never used for anything on the Sabbath. Nothing. And no TV. Nothing. Sabbath was a day of what not to do. And it was a curse. 
But if we were to go back to the original biblical meaning of the Sabbath, I think that it would be much more of a blessing than anything else. So I want to begin by looking at the word zakor, remember. It's the Hebrew word for remember. And very simply, God's, and, and, and the way that, the, that it is written in the Bible is the call infinitive absolute. You guys all know what that means, right? No, you don't. I don't even know what it means when I took Hebrew. No, I'm just kidding. But the meaning that it is written in this way, okay, all you have to know, I'm just, I just did this for fun because I thought you guys would think like boring, but I want to show you what it means. The fact that it is written in this form is that God is saying it is imperative for you to remember. It is, in essence, a command. Remember. Another way of saying it is don't forget the Sabbath. Don't forget. And the only reason somebody has to tell you to remember something is why? Because you might forget. Because in the midst of daily life and all of the other stresses of life and everything that you have to do, it is very easy for us to forget things. How many of you men, and I'm talking to men because I'm a man, has your wife ever asked you to do something and you forget? Yeah, all your hands should go up. Come on, guys. If I ask your wife, okay, wives, how many of your husbands have forgotten things? All the hands are going to shoot up, right? And what do they say? Don't forget to. Hey, while you're out doing this and that, don't forget to what? Pick up the milk or do, pick up the laundry. Don't forget to pick up my medicine. Don't forget whatever it is. Don't forget the kids. I don't know. But our wives tell us, don't forget or remember too. And in essence, God is doing the very same thing when he talks about the Sabbath. He says, remember, don't forget. Don't lose sight of the Sabbath. Don't forget. And the second term that I want us to look at in this passage is sedek. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it sedek, holy. Sedek is often or sometimes in the Bible used also to describe God. And so God is saying, don't forget the Sabbath. Remember and keep it holy. Now, this is the part where I said oftentimes Sabbath becomes a curse to some of us. Because to keep something holy means that everything else you do, you can't do. It's all bad. So in order to keep the Sabbath holy, you can't do anything. The problem with that, as I have noticed growing up, is that to keep things holy apparently means to sleep a lot of hours. Because if you're sleeping, you can't be sinning. All right? But that's the truth. We would come home from church, we would sleep, because that was our anti-sinning mechanism, and then we would go back to church in our, in, our, in our Sabbath best, and we wouldn't even wear jeans on the Sabbath because that was sacrilegious, okay? But when we think about holiness, when we think about what God means by holiness, we sometimes forget that all that word simply means is that God set the Sabbath apart. He consecrated it. He dedicated it. God makes the Sabbath something special. How many of you have ever have ever um, looked for a gift for whether it's your husband or your wife, your children, your parents, whatever it is, a gift for your boyfriend or girlfriend or friend, whatever it is. And you want it to be really, really special. So what do you do? You think about all of the, all of the hints that your wife has given you of all the things that, oh, well, this is nice, or I might like this someday, or wow, isn't this beautiful? Men, you know, you got to think about those things because she's really trying to tell you something. All right, women, bring your men to church because we're going to teach them some stuff here. 
But the truth is that when you are looking for a gift, for a very special gift, for somebody that is special to you, you, you go through all sorts of ideas. And then it's never just, here's your gift, right? We actually plan on maybe the right time to give her this gift is over dinner at this special restaurant where we like to go to. And maybe there's all of these things that I want to lead up to until she gets this gift because it's a special gift, right? Maybe it's something that, that she has been wanting for years and finally you're able to get this for her and you give her this gift. It's never just here, take it, but rather you work up to it. And God, when he thinks about the Sabbath, when God creates the Sabbath, it's a very special gift to you. I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but how many of you, if your kids, have ever thought to yourself, I don't want to go to school today? That was like my entire life, not wanting to go to school. How many of you have ever had the thought, I really don't want to go to work today? So they all fall the hands, go off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've all had that. We all want a day off. We all get vacation, but we all want a day off. And here's the funny, here's the thing about Sabbath is that Sabbath is God's gift to you to take the day off. It's the day where God says you don't have to worry about homework. You don't have to worry if you're getting a B plus and you want to get that A on the next test. You don't have to worry about that on Sabbath. You don't have to worry about mowing the lawn or doing the laundry or mopping the floors or vacuuming the stairs. You don't have to worry about cleaning your bathroom or throwing out the trash. You don't have to worry about watering the grass. You don't have to worry about all of the things you don't like to do. On the Sabbath, you get to just stop. It's your insurance. Sorry, honey, I can't take out the trash today because it's the Sabbath. And likewise, sorry, honey, I'm not going to iron your clothes because it's the Sabbath. But that's the truth. You don't have to worry about anything on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's day for you to stop. Growing up, I told you, Sabbath for me was a curse, and I, hate, I didn't hate it, but I hated that I couldn't do things. But what was instilled in me through the very rigorous keeping of the Sabbath as holy as we could is that now as an adult where I don't have a parent to tell me what to do, the Sabbath is the day that I look forward to. Now, I still have to get up, and I still have to work, and I still have to get here and do all that, but this isn't really work to me. I get to talk for 30 minutes. That's not work. That's like a day at the park with my wife. I just talk and talk and talk. I love it. It's not work. But on the Sabbath, I look forward to it because guess what? I don't have to worry about returning that email. I don't have to worry about calling the guy because we still don't have that blind. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't, my, I don't have to worry about anything. The Sabbath is where I can just spend time with my wife and with my kids. I can just spend time and say, man, today's a great day because we don't have to worry about anything else. It doesn't mean that life is perfect, but on Sabbath, you get to press the oversized pause button of life and say, whatever needs my attention, it can wait. Because God has given us the gift to pause and to rest. God, at the creation of the world, the way the Bible tells us is that all of the work of creation had been completed except the Sabbath. And when God makes the Sabbath, he creates it to be a blessing and something that is holy before anything in the world has been ascribed to, before anything in the world had been called holy, God calls the Sabbath day holy. It is a gift. It is perfect. Now, if you are like me when you hear that we have to keep the Sabbath holy, we have the thought, well, there's a lot of things that we can't do. And we can't go out to eat. 
So when you do go out to eat, you're always looking around the restaurant to see if there's somebody from that might see you there. And you might need gas, and so you stop maybe at a different gas station than you would on the one on the way to church because you don't want some of the brethren to see you stopping for gas. And, you, and you just, we, we make all of these things so that it's like, oh, no, the Sabbath is holy, and we focus on all the things that we can't do, but what we forget is all of the beautiful things that we can do. Think about this. You don't have to work today for the most part. See, the Sabbath is that God has given us six days to do all of the work, all of the labor, all of the junk that we don't want to do. And on the Sabbath, he gives us permission to rest. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this is a text that we use often. I want to give it to you in a way that might make a little bit more sense, okay? Because I, you know, the Sabbath was made for man. What does it mean that Sabbath was made for man? Think about it this way. Um, Socks were made for feet, The feet already existed, right? So we needed socks to cover our feet. Gloves were made for hands. Shoes were made for feet. Houses were made to live in. Peyton Manning was made for the Broncos. Some of you got that. They're going to the Super Bowl this year, by the way. I'm just saying, you know. Prophecy from the pulpit here this morning. But the fact is, things are made for things that already exist. Man was alive, and God made Sabbath a day for man to stop, and he gives it to humanity, and he says, on this day, you get to enjoy life to the fullest. On this day, you get to pause from all of the stuff that you don't like, from all of the the stuff that is just pulling at your shirt tails, all the stuff that is just bothering you, stop. And on the Sabbath, you rest. Abraham Joshua Heschel, a a Jewish rabbi, in his book, The Sabbath, it's a whole book on the Sabbath, he writes this, the meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. And what he simply means is that we live in a world where we have mastered space and matter and things. We create things, we craft things, we've mastered everything, right? We can use water to make energy and we can harness the sun to make energy. We've mastered everything And so what we have done, in essence, is we have idolized material. The more money we get, the better the life we get. The more money we have, the bigger house and the nicer cars and the nicer clothes and all of that stuff. And what we've done is we have ascribed all of this goodness to the things and the materials in our lives. But what Abraham Joshua Heschel says is that the Sabbath is a reminder to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space our jobs, our school, our work. But on the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness and time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time. And what, are the, what is eternal? Is your car eternal? Is your house eternal? Is your job eternal? Is money eternal? Nothing's eternal. God is eternal And hopefully one day we too will be eternal. And so the only two things that are eternal is God and people. And on the Sabbath day, instead of choosing to do all of these other things, what God asks us to do, spend time with each other. Spend time with me. 
Whatever that looks like and whatever form that takes, go ahead. In essence, what God is saying on the Sabbath, take time to do what feeds your soul. And on the seventh day, God finished his work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. I think I repeated that. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Ancient Jewish rabbis say, that on the seventh day, God creates rest. It's not just Sabbath, but he creates rest. And God is inviting you on a weekly basis to enter into his Sabbath so you can pause and stop everything and enjoy life. Six days you have to work. Why would you want to work on the seventh day? Six days you have to do all of the stuff, but on the Sabbath you get to stop. And I want to read another quote from Heschel. It says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week we seek to dominate the world, but on the seventh day we try to dominate the self. On the Sabbath day, we are so used to creating and doing and moving and absorbing and consuming things that on the Sabbath it's hard for us to even do that. But the Sabbath is a palace in time. The Sabbath is a glimpse into eternity. The Sabbath is the day where you are able to, in essence, be filled with God in a special way that isn't happening during the six days of the week. Now I want to read the the next part of the verse, and it says, On the Sabbath you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, I don't have a female servant or uh, a male servant. I've tried to make my kids be that, but they don't don't like that very much. I don't have any livestock. I do have a dog, but that doesn't count for anything. I can't make my wife be my slave because she would just leave me, so I can't do that either. So this doesn't make sense to me. Why would God say this to me? I have no control over any of these kinds of people or animals because I don't have any of them. But the reason that this would have been important for the Israelites when they first heard this, they had just come from Egypt where they had to work seven days a week. Pharaoh kind of granted them to have a Sabbath, but for the most part, the Israelites were just working seven days a week. I don't like to work seven days a week. I've done it before. I don't like to. I technically do as a pastor because I'm on call 24-7, but it's different. But when God gives this command to the Israelites, what he is saying is you are no longer slaves. You are no longer simply brick makers. You are no longer working for someone else. Furthermore, on the Sabbath, do not worry about advancing yourself in this world. Let me repeat that. On the Sabbath, God says, don't worry about making more money or creating or producing more things. On the Sabbath, don't worry about advancing your place in the world where if I just do this today, if I just study a little bit harder, I will get that A. If I just go into work for a few hours for that few hours of extra overtime, then I'm going to make more money and I'm going to be able to do this. God says on Sabbath, you just stop all that. Because on the Sabbath, we are reminded that God is in control of all things. And on Sabbath, we give honor and glory to our Creator. On Sabbath, we are reminded 
that the world will go on without us having to have our hand in it. On the Sabbath, God says, I've created rest. I completed my work of creation. And on this day, you just get to be. You get to be still and you get to leave everything up to me. In essence, the Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. On Sabbath, God creates menuha. Menuha. In English, it simply means rest. That is what God's intention for you is on the Sabbath. Rest from all the other stuff. And on Sabbath, just come to God. Now, for me, I've gone to church my whole life. Sometimes I didn't like it, other times I did. But Sabbath for me became a thing that I looked forward to because there was just peace. Because I didn't have to worry about turning the television on. I didn't have to worry about what football, college football game was on. You know, I hated that I missed all of that stuff, but now as an adult, I realize, man, I love when the house can be quiet and there is no noise in it. I love where I can just sit there and maybe just read. I'm not telling you how to keep the Sabbath because I would never do that. Because if I told you that you couldn't do certain things, you just wouldn't do them. But it would be because the pastor told you to. And they would take away the hard work of you actually coming to God and really asking God, what do you want for me for the Sabbath? Sabbath is beautiful and it's peaceful. And it's a day where there's often a lot of food and the calories don't count. I'm serious. You don't have to believe me, but it's how I live my life. On Sabbath, you eat more. But menuha is tranquility. Serenity, peace, repose. It is when you gather yourself where you are mended, where you are filled, where you are restored to the person that God is wanting you to be. On the Sabbath, the sun always shines. Uh, When I was a kid, um, it had been a Friday night that had rained and rained and rained all night. And I remember as we, we got up in the morning, I looked out and the sun was shining. Right after it rains a lot, then you see the sun and as I was walking out to the car, I remember my dad telling me, and I must have been like nine or ten years old, I don't remember, but I remember my dad telling me, um, if it's Sabbath, then the sun will always shine. I was like, that's not true. <laughs> and I started thinking, like, no, there's been times when it rains on Sabbath, that's not true. But what I began to realize is that he was making a much deeper point, is that on Sabbath there is peace and everything is good. And that has stayed with me out of all of the other things I've learned about Sabbath because Sabbath is a day where you get to have fun and enjoy. Enjoy the people in your lives, your friends and your family. I would put it this way. The Sabbath is God's invitation to come, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Because I know that you've gone through stuff this week. I know because I have. And I know that there isn't always peace in your life and there isn't always serenity and tranquility. I know that. But the Sabbath kind of pulls us in like a magnet and says on this day, you don't have to worry about any of that. On Sabbath, you don't have to worry about any of that. I think I'm going to finish with that. I had one more passage, but I think it's not going to fit here. Now let's do it. Let's do it. I got two more minutes. 
Isaiah 58. This is a passage we use all the time. This is a passage that was used on us, and it says, if you turn your foot back from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call a Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasures or talking idly. Now, this is the part that has been that was in, told to us from the time that we were born until even now people use this passage. And so you see, that's why you can't do this because it's your pleasure. It's what you want to do. And today is the day to do what God wants us to do, right? We've all heard that. But the truth is, and here's where the, the, the paradox come in, says, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The truth is, we often think that giving things up on the Sabbath is, is why would God want us to do that? But I want to do this, or I want to do that. And oftentimes, we're just like, man, that's why I don't like the Sabbath. Growing up, when I would tell kids that I was a Seventh-day Adventist, first they thought I was crazy, and then they were like, but what, is, what does that mean? And I just said, basically, it means that my religion tells me that I can't do anything on Saturday. That's because as kids, that's what we do. That's what some of you still do, I think. A religion tells me I, I don't do anything. But the truth is, is that sometimes getting rid of things in your lives actually brings much more peace. That getting rid of all of the clutter actually brings a delight. Now, I can't tell you what you can or can't do on the Sabbath. That's not my job. What my job is to tell you is that the second part of this verse is that the Sabbath will be a delight if you spend time with the things that are eternal, God and each other. The Sabbath is a glimpse into eternity because in eternity, first of all, we don't know what's gonna, what it's going to look like, right? We don't know what heaven's going to look like. I mean, the Bible says a few things, but we don't know what's going to happen and how we're going to do things and what are we going to do during the day. I mean, we don't know any of that stuff, right? What we do know is that God will be there and you and I will be there. Some of you who say, I can't wait for heaven, I can't wait for Jesus to return, what you sometimes seem to forget is that the Sabbath is a weekly cycle that God gives you to say, that I'm coming. But until then, you have this day where you can just enjoy and be filled and live life to the fullest and declutter your life from all the other junk. True life, meaningful life and purposeful life is found only in God. And this morning, that is my challenge to you, that if Sabbath has been a curse, if Sabbath has been something that is heavy, I just invite you to just open yourself up to God and say, I want Sabbath to be that blessing and that gift. I want to be able to enjoy the peace that comes with this gift. The Sabbath is beautiful where you don't have to worry about what's happening tomorrow. God gives you the gift to just be yourself and be embraced by his peace. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, we're thankful for the Sabbath and where, it's, and where it's been a curse, Lord. We pray that you turn it into a blessing, that we would only ever see the goodness and the beauty of it, and that we would live fully into your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Lord of the Sabbath and His light, I held Thy hallowed day of rest.
It is my weary soul's delight, the solace of my care-worn breast, the solace of my care-worn breast. O sacred day of peace and joy, thy hours are ever dear to me. Merway us in full thought, destroy the holy come. I find in thee the holy calm. I find in thee. Oh, Jesus, let me ever have thy presence with a day of rest then will thy servant never fail to deem thy sabbath doubly blessed oh to deem thy sabbath doubly